I'm going to jump straight into it today, and we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 27, from verse 27. It says, Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. This is Jesus. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and tortured, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Now, last week, if you were here, you'll remember that we took a look at some of the trials that Jesus went through, both at the hands of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, but also at the hands of Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time. Jesus' willingness to be condemned as a guilty man, despite the fact that he only deserved worship, gives us a glimpse into the fact that he would go to all lengths so that we may be connected back to God. And despite all the accusations thrown at him, quite often you'll remember that Jesus remained silent. He knew what he was there to do, and the thought of being crucified, though, it says in the Garden of Gethsemane, had him feel deep anguish to the point of death. But his love for us motivated him to push through that. After a whole bunch of back and forth with the Jewish leaders, Pilate finally gives in and orders that Jesus be whipped with a lead-tipped whip uh, before being led away to be crucified. Now, I'm not going to go into the agony of the whipping itself this morning, but we do need to know that it was a refined and considered way that the Romans had developed in order to produce maximum pain and suffering. In fact, it's recorded that many people died from the whipping itself. What's fascinating is that this entire period where Jesus is mocked, he's ridiculed, he's had shame piled upon him, and the punishment that he goes through, this was foretold in the Old Testament. We often call that a prophecy. Things were spoken about the times that were not yet there, they were coming. And this is one of the many ways that we know that Jesus was in fact himself sent by God. Check this out in Isaiah 50 verse 6. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. It's about a thousand years before Jesus was born. Now, the maximum number of lashings or whippings that someone could be subjected to under Jewish law, which should have been what Jesus came under, was 39 with a leather strap. But under Roman law, they could just keep on going until the subject grew tired. And that's what Jesus was exposed to under Roman law. Eventually, he's led away to be crucified. Now, crucifixion was a punishment that had been adopted uh, for non-Roman citizens. It was never meant to be for Romans. In fact, it was considered so barbaric that it was said the idea of crucifixion shouldn't even enter the mind of a Roman. If you were, if, for, for Romans, if you weren't a Roman, you were nothing. And so this punishment was reserved for non-Roman citizens and slaves. It was reserved for those who had no rights. And yet this is the punishment that Jesus is given. And so Jesus, he's issued with this cross that he will eventually be nailed to, and he's asked to carry it to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. This begins Jesus' long journey along a whole bunch of different roads and alleys um, known as the Via Dolorosa. And that's a Latin word, which means the way of suffering or the sorrowful way. Now, in 2012, I had the amazing privilege of going to Israel um, every year before the whole COVID scenario, Elam College would send a bunch of year 12 students to Israel. Amazing trip. I got to go as a staff member. Without a doubt, the greatest trip of my life. I remember walking the Via Dolorosa. 
this path that Jesus walked, carrying his cross on the way to the place of the skull. And interestingly enough, as we were there, the guide was explaining to us that the particular spot that we were in, the road itself that Jesus walked was about five meters deep. Over the years, they'd keep building road over road over road, although some parts of it were the original road that Jesus walked over. But in all, it was still the same path that he journeyed. And as we slowly walked along the winding cobblestone streets and pathways, I tried to picture what it would have been like. Jesus, having already been whipped, beaten, and mocked, is dragging this three to four meter large cross that jinks and jumps on the wounds of his back with every cobblestone. People jeering and mocking from their windows, likely shouting and spitting as he made his way. This truly would have been a road of suffering. It's crazy to think that Jesus was expecting this. See, it was prophesied about a thousand years before Jesus was even born. He grew up memorizing these scriptures. He knew that the Messiah would have this fate. And by this point, he very much knows that this is prophetic of his own fate. This is fascinating. Thousand years before Jesus is even born, in Isaiah 53, this is what it proclaims. Are you, when I first heard this, it blew my mind. This is one of the most, I want to say, catastrophic, significant, altering moments for me in my faith. When I heard this and realized that this was a thousand years before Jesus was born, it says in Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6, it says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You could read that to almost anyone in the world and say, who are we talking about? And they would likely say, it sounds like Jesus. It sounds like what Jesus went through, and yet that was a thousand years before he was born. I said last week that every moment of our freedom has been purchased by every moment of his suffering. Jesus suffered at the hands of the Romans, both in the whipping, walking the Via Dolorosa, and ultimately on the cross he was crucified. But all of the suffering was a price to be paid so that you and I could have freedom. Now that sounds amazing, but there's a problem. There are so many Christians walking around today who don't actually have an idea on what was purchased for them through that suffering on the cross. Jesus suffered in our place so that you and I could be free. The problem is this, that freedom is quite a difficult concept and word for our mind to fathom and process in 2022. We tend to apply the word freedom in terms of being able to do what we want, Freedom to say what we want, believe what we want, go where we want, do whatever we want. Even Elsa from Frozen in the song Let It Go said, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. We think freedom is like, you know what? I'm an adult, I'm gonna have ice cream for dinner and no one can stop me. No one's there to tell me off. We think freedom means that we can just go and marry whoever we like. We can earn money in any way that we choose. We can visit places, buy things, go to events and travel. We can finally live life on our terms. But that's not the concept of freedom we find in the Bible at all. It's actually completely different. The first time the word free is used in the whole Bible is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So freedom was always about choosing good fruit. We read in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus died so that we could have power to choose love over hate, joy over despair, peace over chaos. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 from verse 23, it says, You say, I'm allowed to do anything, 
but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So biblical freedom is the permission and the authority to choose that which is good. Now that's fine. If that's what freedom is, that's cool. But why do we still find it hard? Why is it still such a struggle to choose that which is good in a world that presents us with so many different alternatives? I mean, even Paul in the Bible, he expressed the same struggle that many of us have gone through. He said, so the trouble is not with the law for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. It's, it's highlighting it to me. It's, it's doing its job. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Have you ever felt like Paul? Stuck in a cycle that you just can't seem to break out of. Stuck in a cycle that seems never ending. You don't feel free at all. In fact, rather, you feel like you're still living as a slave. It's like, you know what is good, you know what you should choose, and yet there you are time and time again being enslaved by the sin that so easily entangles. Might be things like lying, cheating, stealing, abuse, manipulation, dishonest gain. Or it might be other things like jealous thoughts, hate in your heart towards someone, unforgiveness, gluttony and greed, or pride. All of these things and a whole bunch of other things that rob us away from the way that God designed life for us to live, the Bible calls it sin. You've probably heard that word before. In Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, the word is katar. And in Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, the word is hamashia, which means fail or miss the mark. To every single one of us, whether you know God or not, was made in the image of God. We are image bearers of Christ. We are called to be ambassadors and representatives of Him. And God says that we are to be holy as He is holy. That's hectic. Like that's a tall order to be holy as God is holy. And yet you know as well as I do that we constantly fail or miss the mark. We don't measure up. We aren't always in alignment. For most people, when we think of sin, our mind naturally goes to the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like one of the most really clear, concrete, set out list of things to do and not do. What's interesting about the Ten Commandments is that half of them help us see how we fail at loving God. And the other half help us see how we fail at loving people. And together, they show us that failing to love God is connected to failing to love people. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph chooses not to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Good choice, right? But this is what he says about it. He says, how could I sin against God? Now, he knows that Potiphar's wife is not God. But he recognizes that to sin against a person is to also sin against God. There's an interconnectedness there. The mark that we all need to hit, the mark that is required for us to have perfection and make our own way into heaven is to love God wholly and perfectly with no error. It's also to do the same for other people. And yet we know that we constantly fail doing this. We fail to be human. It's common for those who miss the mark, which is all of us, to either not know that we are or try to redefine our bad decisions to be good ones. Like what once jarred our soul begins to erode until people convince themselves that, yeah, it's not so bad. They compare it to someone else that's doing something worse. And we take our eyes off how much that thing is robbing our life. I mean, here's an, here's an example of that, right? Saul hunting down David to kill him. That's murder. Like that's a real clear one. If you're unsure about that one, don't murder, right? Like it's quite clear. And yet somehow Saul redefines 
his decision and thinks he's doing a good thing. He thinks he's taking down a criminal and bringing him to justice. He redefines his decision to make it seem like a good one. And yet a time comes when he eventually realizes that actually he's the corrupt one. He says, I'm the one who's sinning. I have failed. Sin is this crazy ability to keeping us enslaved and dejected. The very fact that there are these cycles of repetition that we can't break free from suggests that sometimes in certain areas of our life, we're not living free at all. In fact, we're still living as a slave. But the Bible says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We even sang about it in one of our worship songs. But it's biblical freedom that allows us to break free from this bondage and by God's grace, choose that which is good. Genesis 4, you've got Cain and Abel, brothers. And Cain is angry at God that God is showing favor to his brother Abel. And God says to Cain, why do you look dejected? If you do good, you will be accepted. But if you don't do good, sin, which is missing the mark and failing, is waiting at the door, eager to devour you, but you must rule over it. Sin is portrayed as this animal that is just lurking and waiting and ready to devour. In fact, James 1.14 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, allowed to grow, we allow it, it gives birth to death. And so we have to rule over it. We have to crush it. We have to stop its ability to grow. We have to understand that these desires come from within ourselves, which means you and I have to take responsibility. Now, all of this sounds like bad news. I already feel heavy just talking about this. And it would be bad news if it wasn't for the journey to the cross. But I have good news for you. There's a solution and His name is Jesus. You can overcome. You can break free. You can realign. You can find freedom from the sin cycles that have had you entangled. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer a slave to sin, but a son or a daughter of the King. Galatians 5.1, I alluded to it earlier. This is the full verse. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. That's what freedom truly is. Not getting tied up in slavery to the law. It's not coming under condemnation. It's like, no, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm believing it and I'm declaring it over my life. I'm not going to succumb to the desires of my flesh. I'm not going to believe the lies of the enemy. I'm not feeling weighed down by an expectation to live a perfect life. Here's the thing. For every person that has asked Jesus into their life and devoted their life to Him, you are already free. Christ has already paid the price that needed to be paid for you to be fully forgiven and set free. No longer a slave because you've been welcomed in as a son or a daughter. But it's on us to make sure that we stay free. That's where I want to go this morning for the time that we've got left. I know the last few weeks have been a bit more big picture. I want to make this really practical so we can leave with some tools to, to do better at this. Because I know for many of us, we can find ourselves in destructive sin cycles. And despite our best efforts, we find ourselves back there again and again and again. I want to give you a few tips this morning to help you break free from those. The first one is this, name it, own it, share it. Name it, own it, share it. You cannot overcome an enemy that you haven't identified. If you truly want to break free out of unhealthy cycles, you've got to be brutally honest and be willing to name it. Here's some examples. You may be able to say that this is true for you. You might say, I carry unforgiveness in my heart towards my dad who was absent in my life. You might say, I keep cutting corners for financial gain and I know it's dishonest. Maybe you would say, I struggle with sexually impure thoughts and I know it's unhealthy for me and dishonoring towards others. You might say, I think my success has been all down to me and I haven't acknowledged God's provision in my life. 
that one's pride. Or I pick and choose the parts of the Bible I live by because some of them make me uncomfortable. That one's also pride. Now, this is a really uncomfortable task to go through, but it's vital if we want to break free and stay free because shame causes us to hide our face. That's why in the Garden of Eden, after they had sinned and God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? He knows where you are and they hid. He could see it, but they still hid. That's what shame does to us. It causes us to step back, to step aside, to push things to the side. But Jesus is not interested in shaming us. He showed us that on the cross. You can come boldly to the throne room of grace despite your mess ups. So we've got to name it and own it. Owning it isn't celebrating it or highlighting it. It's simply being humble before God and disarming its power in your life. You own it by asking God for forgiveness. It's no one else's issue. It's no one else's fault. That's mine. I'm owning it. But God, I need forgiveness. I need a fresh start. And here's the best news. The Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray to each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Accountability is one of the most significant foundational blocks that you could build in your life to breaking free and staying free. In fact, the American Society of Training and Development did a study on accountability in 2017 and found that you have around a 65% chance of completing a goal if you commit to someone. And if you have a specific accountability appointment with a person that you've committed to, you you increase your chance of success by up to 95%. Why? Because we were designed to overcome together. As you feel like you're isolated, you're out on your own, you try to overcome this thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know your life, but I'm going to assume you probably found yourself back in the same cycle again and again. We are called to overcome together. This is, again, why life groups are so important. You can actually do life with people. They can pray for you. You can share. And if you're not in a life group what, what, or small group, did I, did I call it life group for the first time in about 12 years? It's the same thing, right? Group together. Amen. Um, If you're not in a small group, what you find is you end up being the person out in the field while that animal of sin just crouches and lurks and waits to devour. But we have strength in numbers. We have strength when we're together. We have strength when we can share and someone can pray for us and we can go on that journey with other people. Better yet, don't just be in a small group so that you can share and have people pray for you, but get yourself a mentor. If you haven't heard about that, that's just someone that you trust that's willing to invest into your life, tell it how it is, and call greatness out of you. Maybe it's today, maybe you need to have a think about it, um, but sometime soon, why don't you consider walking across the room, approaching someone that you admire, and asking if they'd have time to grab a coffee with you. Just share a bit of your journey, share some of your goals, and allow them to speak into your life. If you do that, give them room to say no, if they don't have time on their plate to do that in this season. Um, But if they say no, just go to someone else. Have someone in your world that you can share it with. See, having a mentor has nothing to do with your age and everything to do with your willingness to grow. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's a next step for you. There's more growth for you. Accountability will help you find success in that. So name it, own it, and share it. And the second thing is this. um, Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Now, I'm not trying to be controversial, but... um, I couldn't tell you the amount of times I've had chats with teenagers who struggle with sin in an area of their life, but made absolutely no practical adjustments to see breakthrough in their life and then just sit there and complain that they're the victim of it all. Now, I'm not just speaking to teenagers, but there are lots of people in all ages and stages of life that live this way. 
And I would often use this phrase when trying to explain it to them. I would say, as Christians, our goal isn't to get as close to the fire as we can without getting burnt. Like, let's just be real for a moment. For those that struggle by looking at the wrong content on their device, but then you keep your device in your bedroom. We're asking for trouble. We're playing close to the fire. For those who have felt tempted to be unfaithful or have crossed the line to do so, and yet we travel alone in the car with someone from the opposite sex, or we stay late in the office after hours, it doesn't matter how much work you've got to do. Go home to your family. Work from home if you have to. Let's just be brutally honest. It's not always a spiritual battle. Sometimes there's just some really obvious practical things that we can do to get ourselves away from the fire. Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. This is Jesus, he says, But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, it's like even the strong parts, even the parts that seem most important or most significant, if they cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I need to clarify, I don't want to assume this is not literal, all right? There shall be no cutting of body parts and limbs and we're not physically cutting. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you need to become disconnected and uninvolved with the things that cause you to stumble. But we are instructed to do the gouging and cutting. He doesn't say, you know, if this thing causes you to sin, sit tight, I'm going to come and cut it out of your life. He says, you need to cut it. You need to gouge it. Any sacrifice that we make that removes sin from our life is a worthwhile sacrifice. And I know that some of these things are not as straightforward as they sound. I realize that. I appreciate that. But if that job causes you to sin, cut it. Don't go quit your job tomorrow, but make a way. Believe for something different. Apply for something different. Get yourself into an environment that allows you to flourish. If that friend group causes you to sin, cut it. If those movies that you watch cause you to sin, be honest, cut it. If that business relationship causes you to sin, cut it. Cut these things out of your life, Jesus says. We have the freedom to make choices that bring life to our journey. Now, we absolutely have to pray for God's wisdom, His strength and His leading, but don't over-spiritualize things to be a spiritual battle every time while we sit there being unwise with how we're navigating it. If you struggle with temptation of some kind, you know, like I know, the solution here is not just don't be tempted. Someone could say that to you all day long. It's not that easy. It doesn't work like that. But what we need to do is remove the temptation from our life so that you couldn't slip up even if you wanted to. This is the problem with playing close to the fire without getting burnt. We get real close. And we're like, I'm not, I'm not in the fire. I'm following the rules. I'm honoring the Word of God. And it's like, you are, but you're one small slip up away from getting burnt. So are you really trying to avoid it? Or are you just trying to toe the line and see what happens? And then if you slip into it, you're like, oh, there's nothing I could have done. You could have run far away from the fire. If the fire is on the other end of the room and we slip up, yep, there's some stuff to sort out, but it doesn't leave you burnt and hurt. I'm also not saying under-spiritualize it. We very much are in a spiritual battle where the enemy would love to use sin to keep you entangled and shackled like a slave. We must pray. We must seek God. We must be willing to go into spiritual warfare and believe for breakthrough against those things that come against us. And at the same time, we shouldn't assume that every struggle we have is a spiritual battle. Sometimes, if I'm to be honest, we cause more damage than the devil. 
We think everything that bad, that bad that happens to me, that's the devil. That's the devil. When we pass off all the responsibility, that's the devil. Sometimes it is. And we need to pray and we need to believe against those things. And at the same time, let's act with some wisdom. Let's live according to God's word. Let's be practical in getting away from the fire. You have been set free. Now make sure that you stay free by not getting tied up in slavery to the law. Keys, you can join me. That'd be awesome. In the final moments we've got left, I just want to do some really quick troubleshooting. Because you might be in the room and saying, look, I've given my life to Jesus. I mentally understand Jesus went to the cross. He took my shame. He went through suffering so that I could be free. I get that. And yet I still don't feel free. I still feel enslaved. What do I do? Two really quick things. The first one is this. Analyze what you believe. John 8, 31 to 32 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If truth leads to freedom, true biblical freedom, the opposite is also true. Deception leads to bondage. Remind your soul every day that Jesus died a slave's death so that you could be free. Don't just listen to podcasts actually read the Bible for yourself. It can be hard. Where do I start? Where do I go? Start at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all the stories of Jesus. It's a really good place to start. The Old Testament isn't the old version that got updated with a new and improved version of the New Testament. No, both are very important. One shows us people trying to do it their own way, not being able to. And then the New Testament comes with Jesus who shows us that we still can't do it our own way, but He made a way for us by coming down to us. An amazing story. You need the whole thing, but start reading the Bible for yourself. Sometimes just getting a paper one so you don't get distracted by all the notifications, push everything else aside. If it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, just do something. You need that. We need to analyze what we believe, but also listen to podcasts. They're awesome. Read books, ask questions, get involved in a Bible study small group. If you believe incorrectly, you will get unhealthy outcomes. If you know the truth of the Word, that truth will set you free. And then analyze your fruit. Are you bearing fruit that leads to life or fruit that leads to destruction? The fruit we're referring to here is Galatians 5. I said it earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These aren't just like encouraging words to put on a poster or a wall somewhere. This is a declaration of what should be the overflow of the Christian life. Now, don't beat yourself up. There's nine of them. You're not going to be flourishing in all nine all at the same time, unless Nyla probably does. But for the rest of us normal people, (laughs) that's not the case. Challenge, write them out. Go read Galatians, find the fruit of the Spirit. Google fruit of the Spirit. If you forget that it's Galatians, it'll come up really quickly. Write them down and go, how am I doing on those? I might have love, joy, peace, oh, patience, not so much. Let's focus on that. Let's ask God for some help. Let me actively, intentionally try to build my patience because this is important for us. If we're lacking in one of those areas, it suggests that maybe there's a part of our life that is still a slave to sin, but you're not a slave. You've been set free. The price has been paid for you, but now we need to make sure that we stay free. Sin brings suffering because it draws us away from the life that God designed for us and it muddies our intimacy with Him. And as Jesus agonizingly made His way along the Via Dolorosa towards Golgotha, the place of the skull, His suffering was payment. It was the lead up to the cross where the price would be paid that was outstanding because of our sin. Romans 6.23 says, 
For the wages, it's like the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You have been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. You've been set free from the penalty of sin, which means your destination is no longer an eternity without God, but it could be an eternity in heaven with Him. That penalty of being separated forever, you've been released and freed from that when you give your life to Jesus. And you've been released from the power of sin. Yep, it's still there. It still crouches, it still tempts, it still looks to devour, but you don't come under that authority anymore. You don't come under its power, but you are free to choose that which is good. You are free from both the penalty and the power of sin. Every Christian has been made free by the victory on the cross. Now let's make sure that we stay free and not get tied up in slavery to the law. I wanna pray for two groups of people this morning. The first group, we're just gonna have everyone close our eyes right now. I wanna pray for you. If you know, if you were to be honest, you've been stuck in a cycle of sin. I'm not gonna ask you to reveal it or make it public to anyone, although I do think you should find some accountability to help you on your journey. But I wanna pray Firstly, that God would highlight the practical steps to you, but also that the Holy Spirit would give you a supernatural strength and a peace and a boldness to go after making the changes that you need to make so you could live a life where you reduce sin that robs you away from God's best for your life. If that's you, you know you need the leading, the power, the help of the Holy Spirit on your journey. I just want you to pop your hand up right now. I'm just gonna include you in a prayer. You're saying that too? Yep, I see you over here. Just a bunch of hands. You're just saying, yep, I just need some help been stuck in a cycle. I can't seem to break free. I can't seem to get out of it. It's also cycles of our thought life, of our thinking. We keep coming back to thoughts that we know aren't true. We just can't break free from them. If you need healing and breakthrough in that, just pop your hand up right now. Awesome. Okay, you can pop your hand down. I'm going to pray for you. God, right now in the name of Jesus, I believe for and I declare breakthrough in Jesus' name over every person that lifted their hand whether that was for their thought life and their mental health, whether that was desires of the flesh pulling us back into the same cycles that we just can't seem to break free from. I declare in Jesus' name that they are free, that the price has been purchased, that they can walk away not as a slave anymore, but as a son and a daughter of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give them the strength, the insight, the wisdom, and the accountability support to make the practical changes that they need. I believe and declare that today is the day that it all changes. Yep, it's going to be a journey, but today something shifts, something changes, and they leave different from the way that they came in. Thank you, God, for a new season. 